you happen to be looking this way as I was getting the table set up, you're probably wondering what the man in the hat whispered in my ear just now. Sure you'd like to know, wouldn't you? <laughs> he said, the bull- <laughs> that wasn't it. He said the bulldogs are better. That's a joke. Anyways, uh, no, technical mic stuff. Hey, I want to let you know really quickly um, two things that you guys did this week as a church that you may not even be aware of. Uh, one is, if you were around last week at the end of service, I just mentioned a family that we had come in contact with as a church uh, that just really in, in a hard spot in life and, and could benefit from some help. And so I mentioned a few physical needs uh, that they, they could benefit from. And man, you guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, within a couple of days, uh, one of those needs was a stove and they've got that now out at their house. We've had uh, some of you give financially and uh, we're, we're hoping we're close to be able to provide for uh, beds and box springs for them um, that they don't have. And uh, anyway, and if you want to give towards that, you can, but I'm not, this is not a pitch for that. Uh, you can give to that by, through benevolence. So choose benevolence or, or find me. We'll figure out how to do that. That's, that's not the point, though. The point is you help people through your giving this week already. Um, another moment this week um, was, was when a, a mom and a, a daughter, a young daughter, stopped by the church and uh, are, are living in, in a very similarly uh, hard situation, very different reasons, but very hard situation and um, really not able to. They seem to be doing everything they can to move forward, but they're kind of in a gap right now, waiting on some things to fall into place. And uh, you, because of your generosity and your giving, uh, we were able to uh, help them stay in a hotel room that they were in uh, for a few more nights. Uh, they were at like, they're about to move our stuff out and we don't know where to go point. And so Man, I just, I just want to say thank you to you and encourage you. I think it's really easy um, for us as leaders in the church and staff that are around during the week for stuff to happen that you never know anything about. And so I just want to encourage you and thank you in your giving and uh, your willingness to get involved with people where you have the opportunity to. We're going to look today, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We were in Hebrews chapter 3 last week, so if you had that marked or something, you can just flip up a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10. As you're turning there, I'll tell you, one of my most vivid memories, which is odd to me, but one of my most vivid memories of my early 20s, which it feels weird to even say that because it feels like it should just have been a few weeks ago, but it's been a minute, all right? Um, One of the most vivid moments of my early 20s is when Jamie, my wife, and I, at that time, we were either dating or engaged, I'm not sure, but she had moved uh, to Birmingham so that we could live in the same city, Uh, wanted to kind of live there, see each other every day for a while before we got engaged. So we were either dating knowing we were going to be engaged or we were engaged and we got to be part of a, a pretty large church in the area. And with a little bit of time, uh, I was asked if I would help out and lead uh, in the college ministries and the singles men's ministry. And so I got to hang out with them and be a part of that. And one night they were having a, uh, just a social event just for people to hang out, have fun and get to know each other. And they were doing flag football and some other stuff. And so um, you, you don't know this about me probably, but I can be really awkward, especially when I'm first starting to get to know you, and I was still in that stage with them. And uh, so I, I was kind of already, like, nervous about, uh, I don't know about going to play flag football with these folks, and what if I, anyways. So we get out there, and we're playing flag football, and it's, the nerves are starting to, to go down a little bit, and we're just having fun. And somehow, I don't know how, I, I ended up getting the ball thrown to me to play quarterback for a player or two, and I was like, well, this is, you know, really a lot of pressure out here, this flag football game on this church field out here. This is a lot of pressure, right? I felt like it was. And, and I'll never forget, though. It just worked out that that one guy tried to rush me, and I pump faked, and he jumped up in the air, and I ran. That's not part of this story, but I need you to know I ran like I'm, it was good, right? But anyway, right? But then, 
the next play, right, the next play, I drop back, and we're, our, our end zone's a pretty good bit away, and I drop back, and I'm running around. I see a guy on my team, and I just rear back and just chunk it as hard as I possibly can, and, and nothing due to my skill or whatever else, but it just worked out that it, he caught it. We scored a touchdown. But the moment that I remember very vividly, though, is as everybody's kind of making their way back to the line, we're going to start the next series, start the next play. As that's happening, two guys are coming back, and I see one guy look at the other, and he didn't think I was paying attention to him. They were a little bit over here. And I heard him say as he looked at each other, he had seen me throw that ball, and he looked at him, he was like, dude, Brett Favre. I don't know if you know Brett Favre, right? He's been in the news from other stuff recently. I don't know what, what the deal is with that. But, but Brett Favre, man, he was an awesome NFL quarterback. Most would agree he's one of the best to ever do it. Just an absolute slinger. He had a monster arm and just threw it all the place. These two guys, one looked at the other and goes, man, Brett Favre, right? And, and I'm just telling you that I'm 40 years old. I never made it to the NFL, right? Never played in college. I'm out of shape like a champ. I look much more like the coach than the player at this point, and I know that, unfortunately. But for whatever reason, I'm 40 years old, and, and when the idea of someone encouraging or encouragement comes up, that's one of the first things that comes to my mind is that random moment when that guy said, I was a little bit, just a little bit like Brett Favre. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it, how even just one small word of encouragement, one little moment in the exact right time, maybe when you're a little nervous or a little less than confident, and someone speaks a word to your life, and it's, you remember it forever. Encouragement, whether it be short and silly or deep and meaningful, is the reason that some of us do the career that we do. It's the reason that some of us maybe are, are still married. It's the reason that so many of us take the life trajectory that we take because maybe we're in a moment of, of lack of clarity. We're in a moment of defeat and somebody encourages us and it's like it breathes wind into ourselves. Today, as we're in this Bible study series for a few weeks called Trademarks, we're looking at unique identifiers of the authentic Christian community. And that's a big mouthful, so just to boil that down for you, it's this. It's, hey, not a, a bunch of things that we can try really hard to do so that we'll be an authentic Christian community. We'll be a, a real group of faith people together in the way that the Bible describes. Our, our aim is not to say, do all of these things, then we'll be an authentic Christian community. The hope and the point is to say, this is what the Bible commands or pictures as an authentic. These are things that are true over and over again when people are really centering their hearts and themselves together around Jesus. We're going to see today that one of those things is that we will be a people of encouragement. The book of Hebrews, as we said last week, is all about saying that Jesus is greater, Jesus is far better. And so it takes every little facet of the old covenant system of sacrifice that we can read about in the Old Testament. It takes different elements of that and, and kind of holds them out one at a time and says this is how Jesus is better than that. Leading into our verses for today in chapter 10, the better than has been that Jesus' sacrifice is a better sacrifice than all these sacrifices that used to happen back in the Old Covenant system. For them, they, they knew how it worked and been going on for years. If there was sin, there had to be sacrifice. If there was rebellion against God, there had to be blood. I had my best friend at one point in college tried to calculate, and I don't know how many sins per day he, he was using there, but he tried to calculate roughly how many different animals were slaughtered in a given year in the people of Israel, and it was some astronomical, like, millions of numbers. 
Sometimes when we read about sacrifice, we, we think, oh, this is what they had to do sometimes, or this is what they had to do every once in a while, or this is what they had to do if they sinned badly enough. In reality, the place, the, the temple of sacrifice, with all, it was regular, ongoing. It was a nasty place. There was stuff going on, their blood. All, I mean, it was happening regularly. There had to be sacrifice. And what's been being said up to this point in Hebrews chapter 10 is this, is that Jesus sacrificed his life. And it's nothing like those other sacrifices in that there's no need for there to be a further one. Jesus sacrificed his life and he might drop and went done. No more need for that. And so to a people who are used to thinking, well, I've messed up. So now I have to go and do the right thing as a sacrifice. I've screwed up, and so now I have to go through all these motions to somehow participate in me being clean before God again. Jesus goes, absolutely not. That was to be a picture for you in many, many ways of your own insufficiency anyway. I've settled the deal. It's not that a sacrifice isn't needed for your sin. It's just that I've already done it. So you don't have to go to work to prove yourself or to try to climb out of this pit or dig out of this hole of sin. You look to me who's already done it for you. That's kind of the point as we're leaning in today to Hebrews 10. And we're going to look starting at verse 19. It says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So as verse 19 starts, therefore, see that word therefore, it's pointing to somewhere else for its prop. It's pointing for somewhere else to to hold it up. It's saying what I'm about to say is built upon this other idea. And so the writer here of Hebrews is saying that whole thing about Jesus being greater, that whole thing about his sacrifice being the only one that's ever needed now, that's the reason that I'm going to say the things to you that I'm going to say. We're going to see, as we just read in verse 22, a a command on our lives. It's It's a mandate for us. And what happens between 19 and 22 is that the writer is reminding us of those reasons, of those therefores. He's saying there because of what Jesus has done, what he has been about, this is what I command you to do. So we got to understand before we start jumping into trying to obey what we're called to do, we got to make sure that we're jumping from the platform of Jesus and not from the platform of us or religion. So that we can come into close contact with God. We can come near to him. Why? Because he has paid for that entrance. He has made that possible through his own blood. I know you know the story. You grew up in the South, most of you. You know the story that Jesus died on a cross and he was risen again on the third day. You know that. But I I think what happens to me sometimes is I've heard that story so many times and it's been attached to a really cool graphic on a screen or it's been attached to a popsicle stick with felt boards and and that's great and those are helpful teaching tools but what I, I, I fail to do sometimes because of that is realize that Jesus went through agony. That it wasn't a one moment thing. That it was an enduring, lasting, painful experience that went on and on and he willingly poured out He had everything at his disposal to make it stop, and yet and still, I mean, what do you do when you kind of get a small scratch and it starts to bleed? You figure out a way to make it stop, right? 
He goes, no, I'm, I'm giving my blood. I'm letting it flow, and I'm not trying to stop it. This enables us to come to God. It says through his flesh in the verse that we just read, which was this veil, an illusion of the Old Testament covenant and how there would be a curtain hanging there that would separate you from the most holy place. It says we don't have that curtain anymore. It was torn because Jesus' flesh was torn. When's the last time that you had a super aggravating hangnail or a stye in your eye that would not stop? When's the last time your back was cranked on you and it was like weeks and weeks and you're just, Jesus had his body willingly ripped apart. It says because he's given us his body, because he's given us his blood, because he's our priest. So the priest in the old covenant system would be the one, the high priest that would go in and be in the holy places of God. Priests were the ones that would make the sacrifices of the animals that was this symbol and outward picture of sin being covered and they're saying jesus is the best high priest he's the great one because he's the one who brings us into the presence of god and when he gets there he's there because of the sacrifice of his own self because jesus is the priest because jesus has given his body and his blood it says that we should come verse 22 with what what should be our awareness what are the things that god has made true of us that we want to be aware of and live in as we approach him in faith it says we should have a true heart true heart not a perfect heart not a sinless heart but a heart that is coming in sincerity a heart that is coming with right motives a heart that is coming as they truly are who you really really are not as who you want to make sure God thinks you are, not coming together with others and, and monitoring who you are so that they'll think you're the person that should be, but you're coming as you. I went through a season in my life where really felt compelled, like it just kind of landed in, in my soul that I would start every moment that I would spend in the morning spending time with God where I would just wrestle with myself to say out loud to God, God, I'm coming to you as a son. I'm coming to you as a son. There were moments when that was really, really hard and it didn't feel true and I just had to sit there and wrestle with it until I got there. But there were some moments when it was joyful. God, I'm coming as your son. Because for me, if I wasn't pausing in that phase of my life to say that, what I was really coming as was a beggar. What I was really coming as was one who was making sure that I confessed every single thing I could ever possibly think of so that God would then somehow nod a smile at me and give me some favor. And that's not the system. We come sons and daughters of the God who has adopted us through the sacrifice of his son. You can come like the true you. And sometimes that means, God, I'm coming to you as a son. I stunk it up yesterday. God, I even heard your call in my heart yesterday, and I chose to do the opposite. You reminded me with your word, and I just walked straight past that line. God, that's the real me. That's how I really come. We come to God that way. We can come to each other that way. He says, with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, that we can come really trusting that God is not just poetically near. He's not just metaphorically close, but that God accepts us, that when I bow my head and heart and I pray to him, he's here with me, because I have full assurance of that faith because of what Jesus has already done. It says we come, verse 22, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. The idea that his sacrifice, that his blood has cleansed us. That our conscience, our moral sensor directing, guiding right and wrong 
not perfect because it's still tainted by our flesh, but that it is now clean and it is now something that is acceptable before God. And I don't have to nitpick myself to death or be over introspective about myself before I can be with God. I can know because what Jesus has done, I can come close to God. And it says with bodies washed with pure water, verse 22. Some think this is an allusion to baptism. It could be. I don't think that's the case. I think it's more likely that it's an allusion to the regular washing that the priests were doing in the temple in the sacrificial system. They were constantly having to wash this stuff off, right, to be ceremonially clean before God. I think the, the promise here is this, is that, yeah, your imperfect actions that you do with this body, your imperfect physicality, you bring that to God and you can go, yes, he accepts it and I'm done well and good and in his eyes because of all that Jesus has done for me. It says, we can come to him. We can come be in his presence because of these things, and here's what I don't want us to miss, is just this, is that all this stuff that it's telling us, this kind of meaty doctrinal stuff that we have to chew on and figure out what does it mean, and what does it mean for my life, not what does it mean to me, that's a whole different question, but now that this is true, what does it mean for me, this stuff that we have to dig into, the whole point, the whole purpose at the end of all this stuff that Jesus has done, the whole point is to bring us as a people near to him. His nearness is the point of the whole deal. The gospel produces nearness to God that we would not have otherwise. Ever since the Garden of Eden, people were pushed further out, and there's been kind of this trend running through Scripture where God dwells with his people in perfect peace forever at the end. God sent Jesus not just to change us from the list of, of, of lost to saved or from, from hell to heaven or whatever. You, yes, those things happen, and that's important, but that's not it. How important could it be if your name is on the right list, but you still don't know the God that it's all about? so easy for us as followers of Jesus even doing life together as a church to forget the whole point which is nearness to God through faith in Jesus I was in 10th grade honors English class I have no idea what I was doing there I don't know how I got there I really that's not a I, I don't know I don't know if my dad paid somebody there's no way I should have been in an honors class we were given an assignment I forgot all about it which was not unusual we were supposed to write a 500-word essay on the idea of relative truth versus that of absolute truth. If you've never heard those terms before, just the idea is that relative truth means that there aren't facts that, that, that are true no matter what. Right? Relative truth means that truth can kind of bend and flex with you and what you believe and what you think and what you observe. But there aren't things that are true no matter what you do with them. Absolute truth means the opposite of that. It means there are things that are true no matter what. And so I sat down at my desk that day, and the guy next to me, who everybody called Bull, was like, did you do that homework? And I was like, what homework? And he was like, I didn't do it either. And I was like, ugh. So I had a couple minutes before the teacher was going to walk in. He always accepted homework at the beginning, passed the papers up. And so I pulled out a sheet of paper, and I wrote something like, absolute truth means that there are facts that are true no matter what I think or feel about them. Relative truth means that my thoughts, that, that my feelings can influence truth, and the truth that I believe may be different for me, but it's still true, and your truth may be different your truth is true. And then I wrote, because I have grasped this concept, I now know with my full heart that there are indeed 500 words on this page. <laughs> I wrote, teacher's name was Mr. Putman, one of my favorite teachers ever. I remember writing, Mr. Putman, having seen the demonstration of this grasp knowledge, 
I believe he will give me at least a C. <laughs> we passed our papers up. He gave us an assignment to do. He went and sat back behind his desk, and I knew when he got to my paper. He was starting to look through them a little bit. I'm sure he saw one that only had a few sentences on it and pulled it out to look at it. I knew when he got to mine because he's sitting there at his desk quiet, and all of a sudden he goes, <laughs> uh, he just starts laughing. And I'm thinking, this teacher's really cool. He's a cool teacher, and I have shown that I displayed the knowledge. I know I didn't hit 500 words, but I did something, and I got that paper back, and I got a zero. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I, in one way kind of got it, right? I got the main point in one way, which was absolute versus relative truth. But what I had missed was that the whole main point really was education and doing what I was told to do. In one sense, I was right on top of it, but in another sense, I couldn't have been further away. This is important today. I believe this my whole heart. Knowing the stuff and getting the the technical doctrinal points of the gospel while remaining relationally distant from God is, is grasping it in one way, but in another way, you couldn't be further apart because the whole main point of the gospel is God redeeming and bringing to himself people who are sinful and couldn't be there otherwise except for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's what he's been saying in these verses 19 through 22. It's what he brings to a really focused point. Verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful We heard last week, hold fast, cling to, grip it tight. We hear in this verse, it tells us why we are to hold fast, why we are to grip tight, why when our flesh says to us, hey, you don't need to go to God today because you know what you did yesterday. When those who know us well look at us with a certain way or make a remark that's not necessarily degrading or or rude but it also kind of slips under the surface and and it's kind of a jab and we start to feel no I'm not no I can't scripture says hey listen grip tightly the gospel not because of anything that you've done or are going to do or can't do or will never be able to do grip tightly to the gospel because the gospel tells you that it's never been about what you do anyway it's about what Jesus has already done hold fast your confession why because he who promised is faithful have you ever done something that you never would have done otherwise just because you knew the person and they promised right God's proven character is what compels us to grip tightly to the gospel and not let go had my heart broken by a girl, I was in college, I guess I was 2021, 20, and I was just so distraught. Some of you have been there. Man, I was distraught, I was down, I was blue, I was hurt. I, find, I, I made it to my class for my test because I knew I had to, but I even had somebody in my class like look at me like, are you okay? Because, man, I looked like a big old sullen zombie, man. I was, I was <laughs> it just didn't look good. Black rings under my eyes, the whole deal. Got the test done, left. And on my way home, I'm scratching and clawing internally for where do I go? And, and immediately it hits me. I know where to go. I, I pull up on the way home to my mama's house. My mama was my dad's mom. You can tell how southern you are by what you call your grandparents, right? And so we're pretty south down there in Bammer, all right? <laughs> I pull up at my mama's house. You know why I pull up at my mama's house? 
because she had impacted my life in, in a way that really nobody ever had before. I had seen her spend the night at her house, get up and sit at the table with Jesus and sing to him. I had seen her my whole life with just this amazing, immaculate, tender kindness. She had found Jesus in her early 60s before I was even really around or old enough to know about it. She had found Jesus and it changed everything for her. And so she would all, she was just always encouraging, always, I love you, mama will always love you. She was always serving, all, anything she could do for you. And I went there to her door because I knew I can look foolish and sloppy. I can cry and weep. I can whatever I need to do and it'll be fine. And she opened the door and she didn't say, how are you doing? Like she usually was, she didn't say anything. She looked at my face and she could tell it wasn't good. And she stepped towards me and hugged me and I put my head on her shoulder. And somehow this little woman half carried me, <laughs> bent over to her couch and she just sat there and held me as I cried but I went there because her character and her love for me were proven can I ask you something in your frustrations with God and you're not understanding the things about your faith and how life works and the things that aren't turning out for you the way you would hope they would have is it not still true that God has done the penultimate thing he could do to prove to you how much he cares for you do I understand everything God does and doesn't do no does that frustrate me sometimes? Yes. <laughs> but I know that I can still come to him, and I know that his, his demeanor about me is not one of displeasure. There may be things we have to talk about, but he's not displeased to be my dad. He's proven that through the sacrifice of his perfect son. We cling tightly to the gospel because of God's proven character. It's a call on our lives to draw near. That's the main point, but here's the deal. It's not just a, an individual effort, thank God something we do in community with each other. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the point is the nearness with God that we can have because of Jesus. We're encouraged and told this is the main point. You're responsible to draw near to him. You're not going to be like the, the early 20s single dude who's saying he really, really would like to have a wife one day and yet all he does is, is sit in the basement playing video games. Never goes anywhere where there's any women that he might meet of good character and he might get to know them. Right? It's like, hey, you don't want that that bad. You're not moving. <laughs> We're responsible for moving forward towards the God who pursues us. If you're doing nothing to seek him out and to run towards his pursuit, you shouldn't expect life to be just flourishing in your faith. We're called to run to him because being near him is the main point. But then it says, listen, it's not just a you thing. Let us together consider how we can stir each other up to love, to good works. It says, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together but instead be encouraging one another this is a really easy point but it, it really needs to sit down maybe in some of our souls you can't encourage one another if you're not near one another you can't meaningfully impact somebody else with a word of encouragement or a word of affirmation which is saying hey i see god in your life in this way you can't do that if you're not relationally near to them. If you don't know them well enough, you'll never be able to do that. It's 
Don't neglect the gathering, right? Don't neglect the getting together. Listen, church, I want to encourage you. It feels weird because I'm the pastor, but I want to encourage you, not because I'm the pastor, but because God's word says it. Make showing up with the people of God a priority in your life. I'm not talking about you here, but I'm talking about national surveys and studies show really clearly that people who check surveys and say, yes, I'm committed to my church, that has shifted in what they actually mean a whole, whole lot over the last 20 years. It used to mean I was there for, to be with my church. I was there. I was part of the life of the church. That's what it used to mean back in the day. People now who check, yes, I'm committed to the life of my church, when they're asked how often they're there to gather together with their church, sometimes it's once a month. Twice. Every three months. Here's the point. Please hear this. You're going to miss a service here on Sunday. You're going to miss a community group. You're going to miss a meeting of your discipleship group. You're going to miss. I'm going to miss. There are going to be a a week or two a year that I I most likely miss on purpose, and I go spend time with my family on vacation. The point is not battering anybody over the head to say, be here. The point is understanding that the promise from God is that he intends for our gatherings to give encouragement. He's saying to you, it's a, it's a part of the normal rhythm of Christian life that you're around other people and God's spirit through them is speaking encouragement into your life. So go to the lake and have fun, but maybe flip the switch a little bit and go, hey, I can go to the lake and I can also do the inconvenient hard thing of leaving early in the morning to be back to be with my people. If you went to the lake last weekend or this weekend, I, I, that's not for anybody. Where that actually... That, that actually probably comes from is, is a couple that were, were leaders in the church that God allowed me to be a part of starting. And originally they were there and they, they wanted to be part of the church and they were faithful, but there was just a lot of times where they'd be gone on a weekend trip or whatever and they just wouldn't make it back. And they came to me and said, we realize, we realize that we need to push further into this community of faith, not further away. And so they started making adjustments in their lives to go, this is a priority for us. He ends up being an elder in the church. She ends up being majorly influential as a leader. Saw God do amazing things through their lives. Listen, I don't want being part of God's family, the church, to be a dominant thing in your calendar in the sense that you always have an event or a program or a whatever. I want us to be able to be God's people out there. Not gathered in here all the time, but in the moments when we do gather in here. It's part of God's plan. It's how he's doing it, that these gatherings would be encouraging to you, that your community groups, that your discipleship groups, that, that your commitment to regularly sit down and eat breakfast with those four group of guys and talk through the Bible and pray with each other, whatever it may be for you, it matters. So he says, don't neglect it, but instead be encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near, the day being the end of time when it all ends. He goes, hey, as you see that approaching, let there be an urgency that all the more leads you to trust, even when you don't feel that being part of this family matters, trust it and push in and commit to it. How do we do that quickly and then we'll we'll be done? He tells us in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Love the radical commitment to the advancement and well-being of another. He's saying, Consider how you can help love bloom in in somebody's heart for Jesus and for others. He's not saying, hey, consider how you can make them feel it. He's saying, consider how you can get them to see how much Jesus has been radically committed to their advancement and well-being such that they then want to be radically committed to him and the advancement of his kingdom. Such that they want to be committed to the advancement and well-being of a friend, a brother, the church. Figure out how can you stir them up to love and to good works. 
This means that as followers of Jesus, our encouragement of each other is not simply a like, hey, you, did, you know, you're doing a good job living life. It's not, hey, I like your shirt, right? which is nice to hear. It's not, hey, nice haircut, though Miss Edwina tells me that regularly. Mostly because she didn't one time and she didn't think my hair looked good. I know it. She says no, but that's what happened. Those things are great, but it's saying more than that. That's not the encouragement. The encouragement we're looking for here is encouragement that stirs up a radical commitment in the heart of the other for the love of God and the love of other people to do the good works that God has designed for us to do, to be active about being his people, taking the gospel forward into the world around us. And notice that it says, and then we'll be done, not just to do this, but it says, let us consider how. Let us consider how to do this. Boosting another's faith steps is worth our purposefulness. It's worth it for me to play my role in his story, my little small role in his big story, in in other people's lives. It's worth it for me to think through and consider how can I stir them up. It's the difference between kind of this cookie cutter, this is how I tell everybody approach to encouragement, which may still matter to you, but it just feels kind of flat sometimes, and and maybe getting a very specific encouragement that's a certain thing, that's just a small thing, but it's somebody who knows you, encourages you in just the right way, says, let us consider this. When I asked Jamie to marry me, I'm not sure if I've shared this, but when I asked her to marry me, I asked her on my birthday, and I knew the story that she had played as a child. She had played wedding with her sister at their house. I'd seen the picture of the two of them standing there. They had like old Bible doilies on their heads to look like a veil kind of thing. They would take toilet paper and roll it, make an aisle, have toilet paper on each side, and then they would take these fake flowers their mom had and it was in a basket on the wall. It's a flat back. They would take those down and use them as a bouquet, and they would walk down the aisle and play wedding, whatever. So when I asked her to marry me, I knew I was going to ask her on my birthday, and got her to come over to my house so that we could supposedly leave with my family to go eat. It was a trick. I'm tricky. She shows up, and she walks around to the staircase at the bottom of of the upstairs of my parents' house where I have a room, and there's an extra den up there at that point. She walks around, and and she lands there, and going up the staircase on each side is just just a roll or two or three of toilet paper just lining out and out. And going up on each stair, there's rose petals that I've gone, and, and I'm sure you can probably buy the petals. I don't know. I, I bought the real deals and took them all apart, and I probably may have wasted some energy. There were candles on each step going up, and I had got her mom to send to me those little baskets that she used to have on her wall full of flowers, and I had one sitting down there for her at the bottom so that she could walk just like she used to play, just like she used to dream about it, up to me. Now, to you, that may be the lamest story you've ever heard. You're like, I've heard some engagement stories, and that one stinks. <laughs> Pass the toilet paper. That's the outside. <laughs> but to my wife, to my Jamie, it meant a whole, whole lot. It meant that I had heard her. That I'd heard her on a couple of occasions talk about that, how they used to play that way and how they thought it was so fun, how they daydreamed about one day they'd meet this guy. And all this. I had heard her dreams. And they're here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they reside within me. No, okay. I had, I had listened to her heart. 
And as weird as it would be with anybody else to have toilet paper involved with your engagement, it really meant a lot to her to walk up those steps carrying that basket and to find me up there in that room and for me to say, hey, today on my birthday, the thing I want more than anything is to know that you'll be mine forever. I know. Feels good. (laughs) What I'm saying to you is this thing that wouldn't make any sense anywhere else, it makes a ton of sense for her because it's really intentional, specific, purposeful to her heart. And the scriptures say, let us consider. Let me think about who it is that's in my life that may need a word of encouragement. Let me think about who it is that may need just some little action with a note that says, I love you, I've been thinking this about you. And that we would affirm people and say, hey, I see God in the way that you. I see God at work in your life the way that you. Says, who might need that? Consider it. Think about it. What might you do? Because I promise you this, if we become a group of people that God is working in our hearts and we're regularly encouraging each other towards Jesus and how much Jesus loves us, Man, we will be a blessed group of people. We'll have more joy in our lives. Our lives won't be perfect, but they'll be full. And I do believe with my whole heart that it'll be an attractive community to be in. How many times have you ever looked at somebody and said, stop encouraging me. Stop being nice. It's our responsibility to draw near to the God who's drawn near to us. And it's our responsibility as a brother and sisters to encourage one another. Let us consider how we do that knowing that all of this is our possibility, that all of this is our opportunity because of what Jesus has done for rebel sinners like me. Today we're going to end our service together. The band's going to come. and We have the opportunity today to participate in communion really quickly. I won't belabor anything, but I want to make sure I say the important things. This is a commanded act by Jesus to his people. It's not a magical, mystical act. These these elements of bread and juice, they're not any kind of special kind. (laughs) They're not magical. It's not a mysterious, mystical act, but it is very much a relational act. Our God is here with us. And what he's called us to do is to partake of these elements, remembering that this cup represents his blood shed for us that we talked about today. That this bread represents his body torn, nerves exposed for us and we come and we partake of those elements and as we ingest them we're saying symbolically in an outward active way Jesus I depend on what you've done for me I need you God's word would say that if you're here today you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure we're so happy that you're here you're not the enemy at all If you're wondering what you're going to do in this next weird moment when this church does this weird thing, rest easy. Just just sit there. If you're not a follower of Jesus, not commanded for you, just sit there and watch a group of people who are dependent upon this God. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, God tells us in Corinthians that, that we shouldn't take this moment lightly, that we could consider our hearts before him so that we're not coming and saying outwardly with this act, I'm so thankful for your sacrifice, when inwardly in our hearts we're going, I don't value it that much because I'm going to keep living in my sin. It's just the idea that there would be no known unrepentant sin in our hearts. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we're going to sing. I want to invite you, don't wait on a prompting from me or anyone else. When you're ready, you can come forward to either of these tables.
take these elements and you can take it here at the table. You can take it back with you to your chair. Think about what Jesus has done for you and let the gladness and the appreciation and the gratitude well up in you for your King Jesus, the sovereign and the sacrifice. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for those hours, those days, on dates we don't know for sure. But as real as any day on our calendar, when you gave yourself. Your word says, with joy set before you. Jesus, we don't have any hope without you. Not just that we would pray a prayer so that you would save us and we could mark ourselves okay. We don't have any hope for living every day without you, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus, we're so prone to wandering. We're so easily distracted. Starting with me. But even in the moments when we're thinking about you, not at all. It's you and your sacrifice that keeps us safe in the Father's hand. So we praise you for your body, for your blood. Cannot fathom the physical pain you felt. Cannot fathom, Jesus, how emotionally just torqued your soul must have been. Jesus, please prevent us from thinking that the cross and the resurrection are just the founding blocks of our faith. Please let us not drift away from thinking of you every day and what you've done for us. So now, thank you for your body and your blood. We do this act in remembrance of you as you've commanded us to, knowing that today you're as alive and real as any of us, that you hear our prayers, that you in the person of your spirit is here with us. We recognize our need for you, new and afresh, and we celebrate your giving of yourself to meet our need. Encourage us in this moment. Let us have a, a feast of celebration for just a moment, God, and let that encouragement bubble up and well up in us that we would be a people who would encourage each other all for the glory of your name. All that we might enjoy the peace and the joy that you've provided for us in yourself more and more. Be at work in us, God. Lead us. Ask all these things, Jesus, for your name. Amen. You can stand and sing. You can sit and pray. If you need to journal for a second, whatever you need to do, do something real and authentic in your life in response to God. And when you're ready, come to the table.